I want to talk about hopelessness today. When I graduated from college, uh, it was right as the recession was starting. And it was a period of time in my life where I felt some very real and substantial hopelessness. I had a part-time job that I didn't particularly like. It didn't particularly feel connected to anything I wanted to do with my life. And it didn't pay enough to make my life work. And so I spent most of my time in this job sending out resume after resume, looking for some sort of next step professionally. If I ever want to look at kind of where my life has come from the past, sometimes I'll go back and just look at my email and look at like the resume after resume after resume that I sent out. But all I got was rejection. Or if you've ever been job hunting, more often I got silence. No new opportunity, no new job. You know, it felt uh, heavy. It felt weighty. It felt hard. It sucked. And you know, what made it feel so hard to me was more than just kind of how unhappy the daily experience of life is, of a job that I don't love, a job that I don't feel is going anywhere spending my time doing things that I didn't like doing. Yes, there was certainly something about that that makes my life feel less happy. But what really felt like it was stealing from my hope was I felt so, so lost in even imagining a better way forward. With each resume I sent out, with each moment of silence coming back, I felt hopeless that this was gonna be any different I, you know, I wonder if you've ever had this kind of experience, but for me, what that hopelessness was leaving me in was kind of asking the question, if am I just gonna resign myself to living a lesser life than I had once hoped? I had imagined a version of my life that was full and rich and meaningful and connected, but it felt like it wasn't coming together. And asking that question, am I just gonna have a lesser life? weighed on me. The hopelessness begot more hopelessness. You know, and I wonder for you, if you've ever walked away from an experience like that where it's not just feeling a lack of hope, but the imagination of walking forward actually feels like it is destroying you from within in some way. That the hopelessness is even begetting more hopelessness. You know, throughout my life, I would love as a pastor to come up here and tell you that this is a story of that one time in my life I experienced hopelessness and how I have been delivered from it, and this is now the formula into which you can be delivered from it. But that's not the case. Throughout my life, I have experienced a number of seasons where one part of my life, or sometimes more than one part of my life, feel hopeless. You know, it's changed where that is, depending on the season, but behind all of it is that sinking and terrible feeling of, am I resigning myself to living a lesser life than I had once hoped? I, if that's you, if you've ever experienced that, and I'm guessing with a room full of humans, we have, 
I just want to say, like, let's, I, just because it's a human experience that many of us experience does not make it any lesser in terms of the weight and how hard it feels. If you're in one of those stages right now, I think probably the only thing in this sermon that I want you to hear most is that I'm sorry. It is, it is a lonely and hard feeling. And I know that whether you're in a religious setting or a secular environment, the advice in the midst of homelessness is in general something like hope harder. Or just be cynical, like protect yourself from it. You're right, it's not gonna get better. It all sucks, the world's broken, nothing is good. Now it can't hurt you. I have found myself in both of those places, hoping harder, telling myself that things are okay that are not okay, telling myself things look optimistic when they don't look optimistic. I've also been in the place where I've told myself that none of it is ever gonna be okay. It doesn't even matter, sinking into some form of apathy, really sinking into a form of self-protection. But today, I, I'm neither one of those will be my advice. Neither one of those is what I want to lean into here. Instead, I want to take a moment for us to look at something in the life of Jesus about hopelessness, which speaks to me so much because it's different than both hope harder or be cynical. It is a moment in Jesus's life, right before he is betrayed and killed, a moment where he knows what is coming and he is awaiting it. We're reading this from Luke 22, often known as the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He came out, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when, and when he came to the place, that place being the Garden of Gethsemane, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Speaking of the suffering and death that he knows soon awaits him. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. You know, there's a, a theologian named Matthew Henry, who in addressing Jesus' Garden of Gethsemane experience writes, when Christ was in agony, there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. It was an instance of deep humiliation of our Lord Jesus that he needed the assistance of an angel and would admit it. He would not be delivered from his suffering, but strengthened to walk through it. You know, I think this is a key understanding of God. That God is not mighty and aloof or distant and above like a puppet master or chess player tinkering with our world. What Jesus shows us is that God is deeply invested in the human experience. 
who is himself not afraid to be humiliated. There's something about that word choice from Matthew Henry's commentary. It almost makes me feel uncomfortable. Like something inside of me, like, no, 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 God can't be humiliated. Like God would be clever enough to avoid that human experience of humiliation. That is not what Jesus shows us. The God Jesus shows us is powerful in a different way. An ally and an aid and a help to humanity in a different way. In a way that is full of empathy for any of the hardship or humiliation we experience. One who himself is familiar with walking through it. Continuing from Matthew Henry's words. As his sorrow and trouble grew upon him, he grew more impassioned in prayer. Not that there was before any coldness or indifference in his prayers, but now there was a greater vehemency in them, which was expressed in his voice and gesture. Note, prayer, though never out of season, is in a special manner seasonable when we are in an agony. And the stronger our agonies, are the more lively and frequently our prayers should be. And we can find solace in these moments, that in these moments we are not only positioned to see our need in prayer, but positioned to be with the God who has too walked this path and comes closest in these moments of grief. I think I feel so moved and touched by Matthew Henry's commentary because the way that it highlights my own experience. You know, I I think I can say that I too have experienced this strengthening that Jesus experienced. And what Matthew Henry describes about being positioned to be with the God who has too walked this path and comes closest in moments of grief, that, that it feels true in my own experience. You know, the way I feel like this has happened for me, it's that in those moments of helplessness, almost where the helplessness begets, sorry, hopelessness begets more hopelessness, is that I have found myself feeling a company with me. As if something beyond myself is sharing in my grief over how hard things are allowing me to both feel less alone in it and also feel aid in grieving. And I think that's why it's a strengthening. You know, strengthening here is not about increasing your resolve so you can hope better. And it's not about hardening yourself so you're unaffected. Strengthening happens when we're quite honest about hopelessness. Like we see with Jesus here, is there another way? Because I am struggling to see this as something that won't ruin me. And it is at that point of honesty that he is strengthened. You know, at the end of this last year, I realized I was in another one of those seasons in my life. One of those seasons of hopelessness. And in that space, all I could muster was a prayer of help me find hope. But I found that that, 
did lead to things beginning to change. I, I think the best way I can describe it is feeling strengthened. You know, the way that played out for me is I began to suddenly find my attention being drawn to the things around me that did breathe hope for my future. I found my attention being drawn to things like my kids playing with their friends. My attention drawn to them trying their little homework, learning how to write and read for the first time. Or in my other job, working with students, I found my attention being drawn to the places where visible and real progress were being made, not only as students, but as little people. You know, things like this Friday, having a student of mine that I've had for years winning an award for academic excellence. In a way, the hopelessness I had felt in the past almost worked as a whitewash to those moments of hope. They kind of blew past me unaffected. But honestly, what I have experienced in the last couple months is almost feeling something outside of me drawing my attention to the things that do breed hope. And the thing is, that has felt huge. It has felt significant for me because not only did I feel like I was seeing pictures of hope, but then I found myself able to start grieving the things that felt hopeless. You know, my counselor recently said to me, we can't grieve without hope. I think grieving is one of those things that we find hardest to do, particularly in our current American culture. We just don't have systems and structures and practices to know how to grieve well. I think if there's one of those things I could say growing up here in the Chicagoland area as a white man in America is finding help grieving is one of those things that I truly need help that I can't give myself. And so I have found myself able to grieve the things that feel hard to grieve the places of hopelessness I see around me. Find myself able to cry. I find myself able to hold an anger that's not destroying me, but an anger that feels like it's letting out the grief I feel. As Matthew Henry says, it was not like I was delivered from my suffering. It's not like I was delivered from what was hard, but I felt strengthened to walk through it. You know, there's a Catholic prayer that I came across via the theologian Richard Rohr that really has spoken to me in this place. I'm going to read it with you. God for us. We call you Father. God alongside us, we call you Jesus. God within us, we call you Holy Spirit. You are the eternal mystery that enables, enfolds, and enlivens all things, even us, even me. Every name falls short of your goodness and greatness. We can only see who you are in what is. We ask for such perfect seeing as it was in the beginning, is now, and shall ever be. Amen. And in expanding on this prayer, Richard Rohr writes, especially talking about that God within us, who we call the Holy Spirit. He says, 
in the divine spirit, God within us, God takes an indwelling character. Let us call the Holy Spirit implanted hope. When we feel alive with the spirit in us, we are like Pinocchio. We move from wooden to real. We transform from hurt people hurting other people to wounded healers healing others. The indwelling spirit is the ability of humanity to keep going, to keep recovering from its wounds, to keep hoping. One thing we love so much about young children is their indomitable hope, curiosity, and desire to grow. They fall down and soon they're all grins, ready to run again. Another generation we see trying to live life to the fullest. But all too often, by the time they're 60, they don't smile so much. And we ask, what happened between 6 and 60? I see it as a loss of spirit. But the indwelling spirit can breathe life back into us, bring back that hope, curiosity, and desire to grow. And as best as I can understand, that is what the last couple months have felt like for me. I felt like hope has been implanted in me. You know, I've not really done anything myself except be honest in prayer. And the thing that has happened, what has gone on within me, is feeling like hope has come out of there, an indwelling of hope. You know, when we pray in that kind of desperate and honest way that we see Jesus is like, is there another way? It does not guarantee that we will be delivered from our sufferings, but it does open us up to something better, I think. Feeling strengthened, feeling our hearts grow softer, more open, feeling hope begin to grow in us to the point that we can imagine a better way forward through the hard things and in turn also grieve them. You know, often here at BLV, we talk about, like, why we exist. And one of the things we often come back to is creating a space where we acknowledge that we need help in life we can't give ourselves. And to me, not in a past version of myself, not in an old story that I can conjure up, but we're talking about, like, this week, Monday, feeling like I needed to find hope and feeling like there was something outside of me or maybe in this case within me that was bringing me to it. Using Rohr's words, feeling like hope was actually being implanted into me. Giving me a vision of what my life could be like. Giving me a vision of a different way forward. And I think for us, when we talk about finding help in life we can't give ourselves, that's what I'm talking about. Finding the help from without ourselves, the help within ourselves, through the indwelled spirit in this case. And I think what I want us to experience here today, what I want us to lean into is to see if we too might be able to find the things that we need not in a way that's saying all of our circumstances are better, not in the way of saying that everything's going to be perfect, but that we can find a strengthening in our honesty, 
Because in order to acknowledge we need help in life we can't give ourselves, it requires the honesty that we need that help. And so in a moment here, we're going to move into a time of prayer. And I'm actually going to read us back to that Catholic prayer again. And I'm going to encourage you to pray it alongside me. But I'm also going to encourage you this week, beyond just today, to see what happens if you pray this prayer again. Particularly these first three lines. To pray for an experience of a God who is actually for us, who we call Father. To pray for an experience of God who is actually alongside us, who we call Jesus. And for me, what has felt most important in this last season is to pray for a God who feels within us, whom we call the Holy Spirit. And I think as we pray this this week, I want to draw your attention to pay attention to a few things. As you're praying these words, I want you to sense, do you feel your attention being drawn to things that are giving life to you? Do you see yourself being drawn away from things that usually perpetuate your experience of hopelessness? Do you feel a stirring or a vision for whatever is next for you? Do you feel your emotions moved? Do you feel less alone? And in my experience, those have all been pictures of relating to a living God that is not abstract and distant, but is here with me. And I want to encourage you this week to try to lean into that. Because to me, I think it is not only the difference of finding a better future, but it's the difference in making now better. It's the ability for us to love the people around us better. It's the ability for us to become the people we want to be, not born out of setting some kind of obligation of who we should be, but born out of a God who desires our lives to be more and doesn't just leave us to the task, but walks with us to do it. And so with that, I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And I'm going to pray this prayer again. I invite you to pray it alongside me. We're going to go ahead and invite the band up front. They're going to, in a moment, move into some time of prayer <clears throat> and singing. And as they're doing that, I encourage you that in the middle section, there'll be some people available to pray with you. And if you walk in here with any physical or circumstantial or emotional need or just feeling connected to anything that's going on here, we find that God tends to show up in pretty cool and surprising ways when we invite somebody else into that process. I think it speaks a little bit to the relational nature of who God is. And while that's going on, some of us are going to be singing along to some stuff happening up here. You're welcome to sing and dance and express yourself in whatever way feels good or sit back and let the music hit you and treat this as a more reflective experience. All of that is just to the end of our goal of you feeling connection this morning. And so I'm going to pray this prayer again, invite you to pray along with me in your brain. God, for us, we call you Father. God, alongside us, we call you Jesus. God, within us, we call you Holy Spirit. You are the eternal mystery that enables, enfolds, and enlivens 
all things, even us, and even me. Every name falls short of your goodness and greatness. We can only see who you are in what is. We ask for such perfect seeing, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be. Amen. Well, Jesus, we ask right now that you would be with us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be within us right now. I just ask the Holy Spirit that you would come right now. That that experience of implanted hope, that experience of help outside of ourselves, that in this space right now, we would find ourselves discovering that. again, just invite you, if you are experiencing anything right now that feels like a stirring within yourself, a rise of emotion, to go ahead and take advantage of the really trustworthy and kind people we have on the prayer team in the middle section. Throughout this whole next section of singing together, you're welcome at any point to go back and do that. <laughs> 